Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this May 2011 episode, we're going to celebrate National Photo Month. But first, we'll start off with a check on the genealogy news with the genealogy insider blogger, Diane Haddad. Then we'll launch right into our top tips segment with top photo expert, the photo detective, Maureen Taylor. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to look at one of the premier photo websites, Flickr, and I'll share with you some of my favorite Flickr photo streams for old photos. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will be here again with another installment of Safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, genealogy instructor Nancy Hendrickson will share some essential photo tips from her Digital Photography Essentials class. And finally, we'll check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has a fantastic deal on photo resources for you. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Diane Haddad. off this episode with the news from the blogosphere and here to give us the scoop is the genealogy insider blogger and welcome back diane haddad hi thank you great to have you back how is the new mom i'm doing well the baby's wonderful leo is his name he's about three months old and so so cute and smart and wonderful oh i i believe it (laughs) and how are you are you getting sleep Enough. It's amazing what you can do on five or six hours a night. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know if you do sleep because I have been following your genealogy insider blog posts and you've been busy, my lady. What have you been talking about? What's new in the genealogy world? Well, there's a lot that's going on right now. Um, Just today, I found out that there's this new Irish record site, findmypast.ie. If that sounds familiar, it's a new launch from the site findmypast.co.uk. So they have some really great Irish records. Um, landed estates court records, Griffiths valuation. They have a bunch of um, town, national, and provincial directories. So that's something people will want to check out if they have Irish roots. Yeah, absolutely. I I know I was uh, talking with the CEO of Bright Solid, who is associated with Find My Past and Mm -hmm. at Roots Tech, and he was talking about that this was kind of in the works, but they didn't know when it was going to happen. And so it sounds like now it's it's live. It's findmypast.ie. Correct. Wow, wonderful. Four million records dating from 1400 to 1920. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. We'll have a link in the show notes to Diane's post on that. And then, let's see, there were other websites that you were talking about. Was there one called Macavo? Yes, Macavo is a genealogy search engine. And that is a site where um, you could go search on a last name or a genealogy topic, and the sites that come up in your results will be uh, genealogy-related. It kind of weeds out some of the non-genealogical sites that you might get with a Google search. So this is kind of a, an aggregator of websites, or is it just refining the search further for us, um, like you say, on top of like a Google search? Well, it it indexes um, genealogy sites, so it only looks at the content in those sites. It doesn't go into databases um, such as Ancestry.com 
or the family search databases, but it looks at what's what's actually on the pages of the site. Right. Now, spell that for us. What, what's the address again? It's M-O-C-A-V-O dot com. Okay. And I've been seeing folks talking about it. It sounds like there's some, you know, pros and cons in terms of maybe what people's expectations are, but I figure it, it never hurts to... Uh, try something like that out and see if it doesn't kind of like you say weed out the the non-essentials and at least get us to the topics we're looking for right and you can always also then try a google search which will be broader but sometimes you do find genealogy information on a site that's not necessarily a genealogy site right so try try different things exactly now here's something different um there's a rap star having his genealogy done what's that about (laughs) yes um 50 cent is a rapper and he is going to be on a vh1 documentary as part of this rock docs series they have tracing his genealogy his family's from south carolina and they moved to new york city in the 1950s like a lot of african americans did around that time Mm -hmm. and so he's going to go back to south carolina and go into the archives and it sounds like he actually is going to talk to some of the of the slave owners of his ancestors. Interesting. Now, is the series um, family history focused, or is it just his particular documentary episode? It's just this episode. I think what the series does is it looks at something interesting about different rock stars. Uh So in this case, it'll be his genealogy, which is kind of neat, because you don't often see genealogy on, on a channel like VH1. So it just could, you know open it up to a whole new audience. Oh, absolutely. And and finally, I know that there's another game out there that's looking to open up genealogy to a whole new audience. You've been talking about Family Village on the Genealogy Insider. Yeah, that is a new uh, Facebook game if people have ever played Farmville or some of the other games. It's kind of like that, but it is genealogy themed. And you can build a family tree and then you migrate your ancestors into the game and you can design their outfits and their hairstyles and um, they get jobs and so your ancestors earn money and then they can um, create a village and they can add things like if you're French you might want the Eiffel Tower in your village or you can have the French flag and then it also will search genealogy websites for information about the people in your tree based on what you put in your tree and then it'll pull records out and show them to you, and you can add those records to your library. In the game? Yes. Wow, it and sounds like can... another addiction coming. I know. <laughs> we asked people whether they planned to play, and some people said, oh, yeah, I can't wait. And some people said, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to have time for this. Yeah, where would you ever carve out additional time? <laughs> I have yet to find anybody who says that they have plenty of time for their research. Right. But it does sound like fun. And again, I kind of like to hear that there's these different creative ways to, I think, maybe even reach out more so to the younger audience. That would be really neat to get them interested. Definitely. Wonderful. Well, all of these articles are a fun read. I'll have links in the show notes for you to head on over there. And hey, it is so nice talking to you again. Good to have you back here on the podcast, Diane. Thank you. It's good to be back. Well, with our theme for this episode being National Photo Month, I couldn't think of anyone better to invite to the podcast for our top tip segment than the photo detective herself, Maureen Taylor. Welcome back to the show, Maureen. Hey, Lisa. It's great to be on your show again. Well, 
I'm wondering, how long have you been writing the photo detective column and the blog for Family Tree Magazine? You know, I've been trying to think about that, and it has gone through so many changes over the years, but I think it's either 2000 or 2001. Wow, gosh, almost since the beginning. It's, it's, it's right from the beginning of the magazine, almost right from the beginning. And I, I can remember talking with the, the new media department, and I said, you know, I have an idea for an online column. And they were like, let's hear it. <laughs> Great. Well, and I know since that time, you've certainly received a lot of um, emails and questions and stuff from your readers. Now, if you want to check out the Photo Detective blog, you go over to blog.familytreemagazine.com slash photo detective blog. Maureen, what are some of the most common questions that you tend to get from your readers? Oh, Lisa, I get everything from can you tell me what they're wearing to can you tell me where this picture was taken or, you know, is this the same person um, in two different photographs or, or you know, which wife is it? You know, there the two marriages in the family or three marriages or in one case there were five marriages. Oh, my gosh. Which, which wife could it possibly be? Uh, and so it really, it, it's just an amazing, an array of, you know, I never know what's going to come in the inbox. Yeah. Never know what the picture's going to look like or what the question's going to be. And that makes it really exciting. Well, and it's really interesting because I know sometimes on the blog you post um, a question to kind of prompt people like, uh, do you have a military man in your uh, photo collection, maybe with a, a uniform that they don't that you don't recognize? And that just brings on an onslaught. We're all kind of facing the same questions, right? Tell us about the uniform series you've been doing. Well, I've been obviously focusing on the Civil War a lot because of the anniversary, but also because I have a new book called Finding the Civil War in Your Family Album, which is all about identifying and telling the story about 1860s photographs. Mm. But in this one photo that someone uh, sent me, it's a 20th century uniform, and it's a teenage boy. And so it's a real mystery as to what it is. And so I, I did a bunch of research and and put it out there on the web is what I've done and a whole lot of people have commented on it and now they, they, they seem to have come in agreement without without me entering the discussion. <laughs> so, so now I need to go off and, and try to verify what they said but they think it's a, uh, a high school ROTC uniform. Oh, It's just been fascinating and you know, it's always fascinating when the photo community, the readers that read my blog get involved and, and you know add their own personal perspective because Photo history is so rich. I mean, every there's so much history not written down, but it's a, it's available in our family photographs. Well, exactly. And and you focus, I know, full time on all of this, and yet then when you tap into the readership, you've got millions of people around the world who all have their own collections and have maybe seen these uniforms or seen other things and they it kind of all comes together on the blog. It does. It does. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you did another series on uh, something that I know that I have suffered from, which is a bad hair day. <laughs> Tell us about your bad hair day photos. Well, you know I have the the Fashionable Photos Hairstyle book, 1840 to 1900, yeah. which I just did because I, I was looking at photographs and thought, well, let's have a little fun with this and, you know, let's pull them all together and see what it comes comes out to be. And it's it's just a lot of fun and people love the book. But I went to a conference and someone had seen the book and they were talking about this photograph that they had seen when they were a kid of one of their ancestors. And the ancestor had a curl straight up on the top of their head and it scared them to death. 
And I thought, I'm going to do a bad hair day contest, <laughs> and the ancestral bad hair day, hair day contest. And so I, I ran it and used SurveyMonkey so that people could vote on their, their favorite bad hair day. And I was actually a little surprised at which one won. It wasn't the one I thought was the worst hairstyle. And uh, it, was, it was just a hoot. It was just a hoot. And then more people sent me pictures, and, you know, so it, it sort of goes on and on. Uh, at some point, I really need to do a 20th century hairstyles, hats and hairstyles or something. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, and the one that won, um, I mean, to us, it kind of looks awful. But I bet you at the time, she was the height of fashion and probably had worked really hard on that hairstyle. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you learn so much about your ancestors by looking at their photographs and how they dressed and how they wore their hair and how fashionable they thought they were um, (laughs) or weren't. And you know, the, the big high hair is nothing over the 1980s, the 1870s yeah. hair stuff. <laughs> it all comes back around, right? It all comes back around. Now, we all have photographs in our collection that, you know, aren't labeled. We're not sure who the people are or where they were taken. I'd love to get some top tips from you. What does the photo detective do? What's your process about when you're trying to learn more about an old photograph? Where do you start? Oh, Lisa, you want me to give up all my secrets? Well, of course. <laughs> it, it really depends on the photograph. You know, I, I, you know, I've been working with photographs for so long that I look at a picture and questions immediately, you know, pop into my mind. But the key things to pay attention to if you're looking at an unidentified photograph are to think about who owned those pictures before you and who owned that picture before that person and try to create sort of a chain of ownership if you can. Um, and look for it in, you know, for the big picture. Look for it in, in old family photographs of the, the old homestead to see if it's hanging on somebody's wall. And then I always look at, you know, who took it, how was it taken, what type of photograph is it, and, you know, what are they wearing? Because that's obviously endlessly fascinating to all of us. Uh, there is a great thing happening this month, Lisa. Do you know it's National Photo Month? Yeah, absolutely. That's why our theme for this podcast episode is photos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I'm doing this project or this thing, a webinar with Family Tree Magazine called The Photo Detected Live. Yes. Which people are going to be able to enter their question on Facebook, the Family Tree Magazine Facebook page. And then we're going to pull from those questions and do this half hour webinar on sort of, you know, ask the photo detective whatever you want. And it, it's, it's great. We're going to have a, a ball with it. And the, the, the real fun of this is it coincides with something I'm launching on my own website, which is called AskMaureenTaylor.com, which is where if you have any kind of photo-related question, not just about identification, you can enter it in this online entry form, and it'll take you over to my free teleseminar once a month. So, so a lot of stuff is happening with National Photo Month and photos and photo identification and photo preservation, and I'm really happy to be involved in all of it. Yeah. Now, when is the webinar happening? The webinar uh, for Family Tree Magazine is at 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time on the 18th, and my Ask Maureen teleconference, AskMaureenTaylor.com teleconference, is at 1 o'clock on the 17th, so they're actually right next to each other. But uh, I don't have the Facebook so um, enabled yet for, for that. So ask your question on Family Tree, and it will definitely get to me. And if you post a photograph, if you can do that, um, it'll get considered for the photo detective blog and the photo detective column in the magazine. 
So we're, you know, branching out and using social media to really connect with the, the readers in the audience. Exactly. And th- and this episode's going to come out just a couple of days before, right around the 15th. So we'll have links to all of these things that Maureen has mentioned in the show notes. And it's so much fun to see that collective brain trust coming together. And here you are leading the way and, and giving us some tools to work with. Um, it's, it's an exciting time. And I am really happy that you took a few minutes out. Tell us again where we can find you on the web at your own website. My own website is MaureenTaylor.com, M-A-U-R-E-E-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. And I'm on Facebook and Twitter and even Vimeo. I have a Mother's Day video coming out this month, too. And you should sign up for my free newsletter, Lisa, because I have a whole uh, newsletter that's going out shortly with all the free specials for National Photo Month. Oh, wonderful. That's the best way to, I think, stay in touch with uh, the photo detective, Maureen Taylor. Maureen, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. Since it is National Photo Month, it's only natural that we devote this month's 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment to a website that allows you to search for photos and post your own photographs to share with others. And Flickr is pretty much the leader of the photo sharing pack. So head on over to Flickr.com, and that's spelled oddly enough, F-L-I-C-K-R.com. I'm not sure why they left the E out, but no worries, because uh, if you do type it in with the E, you'll still get there. You just get rerouted to flickr.com. But once you're there, what can you do? Flickr is all about photo and now also video, web hosting, and sharing. It falls in the category of social media websites because of its great sharing capabilities. In fact, Flickr describes itself as an online community. It was launched by a company called Ludicorp way back in the old days, February of 2004 to be exact, and has since been acquired by Yahoo. In addition to being a popular website for users to share and embed personal photographs, the service is popular with bloggers as a free place to host images they embed on their blogs and other social media sites like Facebook. And get this. In September of 2010, Flickr reported that it was hosting more than 5 billion, that's billion with a B, (laughs) images. So to get started, you'll need a free Yahoo account. So even if you don't have plans to use your Yahoo account for anything else, go ahead and create it and it will give you access to Flickr. As you post each of your photographs, you'll have the option as to whether you want the photo to be public or private. And Flickr always includes copyright information that reinforces that you own the copyright to the image and that people who want to use it are going to have to ask your permission. As you add your photographs, you may want to create what are called sets to keep them organized. So you might want an ancestor set, or you could break that up into a bunch of different sets all by surname. But why is Flickr so great for genealogists? Well, I can give you three good reasons right out of the gate. First, if you have a family history website or blog, or you just want to share your photos with family online on a site like Facebook, Flickr gives you a place to keep them online that doesn't cost you anything and provides the code, the HTML code that you need to share them on a website. You never need to know any HTML code to put them on a blog or website because the great thing is Flickr generates that for you. 
up in the left-hand corner of the page, you'll see an area called Actions above your image, and a click of the drop-down arrow gives you tons of sharing options. You can share your image on Facebook or Twitter, or grab that HTML code and pop it onto your own site. Secondly, Flickr makes it possible for other genealogists to find your photographs. Just make a photo of an ancestor public and give it a great description and lots of relevant tags, like the family surname, location, year it was taken, names of people in the photograph, and that kind of thing. And when another family historian searches on those keywords, your photograph's going to pop up. And they can leave a comment, and then you can determine if you would like to make further contact to share more information. And third, you can search Flickr for photographs relating to your family's history. And I really encourage you to think beyond looking for family photos. How about also searching for the businesses that your family may have owned or worked at, or places like the town where they lived? The possibilities are really endless, and it's a great way to enrich the visual history of your family. And again, possibly make contact with someone who has a shared interest in your family's history. And again, getting started with Flickr is really easy. Um, first off, I encourage you to take the quick video tour that they have there to get yourself oriented. You'll find it at flickr.com tour. After you've taken the tour, you might try uploading a couple of images. Again, make sure that you put in a great description and some tags. But then when it comes to searching, there are several large historical organizations out there with photo streams on Flickr. Now, a photo stream is just a way of displaying the images that you've uploaded to the site. Your photo stream is a visual history of everything that you've uploaded to Flickr. Everyone who sees your photo stream sees a different view of it depending on their relationship to you and your privacy settings. If you have a free account, your photo stream will only display the last 200 photographs that you uploaded. If you have a pro account, which uh, last time I looked was around $25 a year, then you get more storage and the ability to display all of your photographs in your photo stream. I'll have a link in the show notes for you on how to go about creating a photo stream. Uh, it's from an article from PCWorld.com. And uh, let me give you a couple of examples of some great photo streams of historical photos where you can dig around and see if you can find something that applies to your family history. First, of course, check out the Family Tree Magazine photo stream at flickr.com slash photos slash Family Tree Magazine. The Library of Congress has a great photo stream that just scratches the surface of their immense photograph collection. You can see that at flickr.com slash photos slash library underscore of underscore Congress. And the National Register of Historic Places, which of course might be a great resource for images of locations where your ancestors may have lived at one time, they have a photo stream at flickr.com slash photos slash National Register. When you get there, just click where it says collections, and they have it organized by state, but they aren't alphabetized. So you have to kind of look through it. But once you click on the state, you should be able to dig in from there. And finally, if you need help searching for the perfect photo on Flickr, I would recommend that you try the advanced search page. You'll find it at flickr.com slash search slash advanced. And um, that's particularly helpful when you're new to Flickr and kind of finding your feet in terms of the kinds of keywords and what works and what doesn't. Uh, the advanced search page will help you get there just a little bit faster. 
So when it comes to online photos, Flickr is a great spot for the family historian. Photography is an essential tool for genealogists, not only for capturing family memories now, but also for preserving old documents and heirlooms. If you can master the basics of using digital cameras, photo editing software, and scanners in your genealogy work, then you are going to be well on your way. So in this Family Tree University Crash Course segment, I've invited Nancy Hendrickson back to the show to give us some tips from her Family Tree University course. It's called Digital Photography Essentials. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Hey, thanks, Lisa. It's nice to be back. Great to have you here. And I was looking at your class there at Family Tree University, and I noticed that the subtitle of the class is Techniques to Capture and Preserve Your Family History. So let's start with the capturing side, because, you know, of course, taking photographs is an important part of our family history. And in addition to working with old photos, what are some of the things that you coach your students to keep in mind as they are snapping today's memories? You know, Lisa, uh, if you look back at photos, especially, I don't know why I see these in photos of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. When people took pictures of things or other people, it was like they got 20 yards away. And the people are tiny, and you really can't see them very well. So one thing I really talk about is getting up close to the subject, whether it's people or an object, so that you can really see it. And I saw this played out actually just yesterday. I was on the Find a Grave site, and I was looking at some photos of headstones, and the person who had taken the photos had gotten so far away, you actually couldn't read the inscription. I could see that there was some kind of probably Bible verse or some to mother. I I couldn't really tell. I could tell something was there, but I had no idea what it was. And the other thing was, one of the things we really talk about a lot is photographing in cemeteries because it is a pursuit most of us do today. And I really talk about how to shoot a tombstone when the sun is behind the tombstone and the face of the stone is in deep shadow. We talk about how to make a homemade reflector to reflect light back onto the the front of the stone and why you don't want to use a flash if the stone is in shadow, because basically a stone is a big reflective surface, and once the flash hits it, it can create a huge glare of light. And in fact, somebody took some photos in the class of a a military stone, and you know, they're, they're white in national cemeteries. She'd used a flash, and you couldn't read anything on the stone at all because the it, the flash had created such glare. That's why we use a homemade reflector of cardboard and tin foil to reflect light back onto the stone front. And we also talk about things like shooting the surroundings, shooting the entryway to the cemetery, really giving people who are either going to see your photos on a CD or on a shared family uh, photo site online or in a book, they can really get a sense of the place. Yeah, and I I imagine that goes back to being too far away, because I think sometimes we're being very thrifty, you know, we're trying to capture it all in one photograph. And what I hear you kind of suggesting is, take it in steps, you know, photograph the entry, 
photograph the path there, but then get up close to the actual headstone. You can do this in multiple images, right? Right. And, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is the great thing about digital photography is it doesn't cost you anything whether you're taking 10 pictures or 100 which is why I usually come back from genealogy trips with, you know, 800 photos (laughs) because I don't skimp. I take as many as I can because I want to pick out really the best shots. Why limit yourself to taking one or two? Gosh, and we probably don't want to forget using our viewer. You know, you were talking about somebody taking a photograph of a tombstone and not realizing that the light had completely washed it out. But it's just taking that extra few seconds to go back and look at it to see how you're doing if you need to go back and do it when you have the chance. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly true. I was just going to say, I do a lot of volunteer photographing in cemeteries here in San Diego. Um, you know, we, you know, uh, there are a lot of sites where people can request cemetery photos. And I've noticed other people, they're taking photos. And again, they're so far away, you actually can't read the stone. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to get up. Get up. Yeah, close. absolutely. Well, and, and you've kind of steered us away from some of the mistakes that people do make in, in taking their current day photos. When we're dealing on the preservation side, which is the other side of your class and talking about we've got these old photographs, we want to scan them and we want to, um, you know, get them into our computer so we can start repairing them. Uh, What are some of your tips for doing that properly so that we don't have to go back and redo it all later? You know, one of the things to do first, and I think most of us tend to skip, is when you're scanning a photo on a flatbed scanner is to clean the glass First, because I don't know about where you live, but dust, dust accumulates no matter where, where you are. And if, if you end up with a bunch of specks of dirt or dust uh, images on the photo itself, you have one more thing you're going to have to clean up in your uh, digital, in your imaging software. So clean the glass. But one thing uh, I think is really important is, you know, a lot of, pictures, I think particularly in the 60s and 70s, were in magnetic photo albums. Oh, yeah. You remember those? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. You can try and remove those with uh, dental floss and kind of working it back and forth between the picture and the magnetic surface. But some images, you know, some images cannot tolerate that at all. So, you may not be able to scan them unless you have a handheld scanner. And in those instances, we go back and try and shoot the picture with the digital camera. So we're taking a picture of the picture. And I just want to say that because some photos are really fragile and you don't want to put them in a scanner if moving them around is going to create even more of a problem. Some of the people in in my class actually have photos in very, very old albums, and we don't recommend removing them from those old albums. So you either scan with a handheld or take a photo of a photo. Um, The other thing on scanning that's really important is most people don't realize it, but scanning software, uh, scanners have built-in software, and you can go in and change the resolution. So... If you're just going to use that on the web, you can scan at a fairly low resolution. But if you're scanning for archival purposes, 
go in and bump up the resolution to at least 300 dpi or even 600 dpi it's going to create a very large file but if again if it's for archival purposes you really want a big picture that's a good point. It's really about what the end use is going to be. Like you said, on on the internet, if you're trying to post it on your genealogy blog or family history website, um, you're not looking for large files, just enough to, to have it you know, look good. But when you talk about DPI, you're talking about dots per inch, right? Right. Yes. Okay. So we can go into the software and actually not be afraid to change the settings. Um, you know what I've done actually is gone in and take a like a Snagit image of the current settings, whatever the default is. And then I can mess with it and I don't have to feel like I'm going to ruin everything. I can always set it back. That's a good idea. And a lot of software actually has a, a click return to default. So no matter what you've done, you can get it back to, to where you started. We can't break it. Oh, that's good. No, you can't break. <laughs> and I like your idea about um, it's not essential necessarily to take the photographs out of the album, because I think about that. I did that with one album one time, and I realized after I did it, I lost the entire context. I lost the order, and um, there was some methodology I think my grandmother had in putting these things together. And here I was thinking about saving the pictures, and I forgot about the context. Thank goodness I only did it once. But you learn so much about a photo from the ones that came before it and the ones that come after it. Exactly. And, and what a perfect time then to just take photographs. Yes. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a new way to use our digital camera for the old ones as well. Well, these are all terrific tips. Nancy has a boatload of them for you in her class. Again, it's Digital Photography Essentials. You can find out about that at Family Tree University. And I'll have a link directly to her class so you can check it out. There's uh, openings all the time. And it's, it's well worth the investment. Gosh, when we think about how precious these photos are to us, really important to, to take care of them and, and to take the future ones in a way that will really be meaningful for their future descendants. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Lisa. I, I love being here. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert at Family Tree Magazine. In the March edition of the podcast, I talked about preserving digital images. But if you've got a ton of photos, it can be a struggle to keep them organized. I'll give you some advice for keeping your digital images in order in this edition of Safekeeping. When you're organizing your paper documents, you probably organize files by surname, paternal and maternal lines, or family groups. You can organize your photos in a similar way. It's really important to save your photo scans in as high a quality as possible. This usually means saving them in TIFF format at 300 or 600 dpi. That's the resolution. You'll certainly want to save versions for your website or for sharing on Facebook, but you should always have an archival folder of high-res photos that you don't touch. To start organizing, create an umbrella directory, also called a folder, that will contain all of your digital photo files. You could label it Genealogy Photos or Master File. Under there, you'll create subdirectories for the photos related to specific surnames, places, images, or record types. Then you'll create any needed subdirectories for each of your major directories. For example, if you create folders for each surname, you could then make subdirectories based on location, year the photo was taken, or some other classification. 
As you digitize your images, you can drag and drop files into the appropriate directories. For images that depict people with more than one surname, you can easily make copies of the image for each directory. This is a project that can take quite a long time, but being organized is worth all the hassle. If you need more help archiving your family photos, I highly recommend the Family Tree University course, Organize Your Photos with Nancy Hendrickson. You can find out more and sign up at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Learn more about organizing your photos on the podcast show notes page. Until next time, stay safe. Well, as we wrap up this April 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, Allison, we've been talking about the fact that it's National Photo Month. We've had Maureen Taylor on the show, the photo detective. And I'm guessing that you have gone into the store and found some goodies to put together to kind of continue our education in this whole area of photo restoration and identification. What have you got? Well, we've just launched a new value pack. It's called Digitize Your Family Photos, and it's got three really great products that will help people. And what I think is nice about it is it's all digital. So when you order it, it's instant gratification. You can get that and get to work right away. Yeah, I love that. If you order it online, it just downloads right then and there, right? And you can jump right in. What does it include? Well, it includes one of our independent study courses um, from Family Tree University called Organize Your Photos, and everybody has a ton of pictures. So, um, you know, that's a need that a lot of people have. What do you do with it all, and how do you rectify, you know, the paper ones versus the digital camera ones, and how do you scan stuff? So it goes into all of those different things um, in four different lessons. But we also have a Photo Sharing 101 webinar. This was our online editor, Grace, who you hear in the safekeeping segment. She did this, and, you know, a lot of people think about sites like Shutterfly and Kodak as a way to get, you know, albums and mugs and things like that. But there are actually some photo sharing services. Flickr is one, and and Grace talks about some others, that um, allow more flexibility in terms of actually archiving your images and sharing your images. So um, there's some really valuable advice in there in terms of using those sites as a way to back up and archive your images. And then the oh, th- fantastic. Yeah, the third product in the bundle is a an exclusive ebook that we've just released for this kit and it's called Photo Rescue and it combines a lot of different articles and handout type of material on digitizing, creating digital images, editing digital images, and archiving them, how to create that permanent archive um, and keep everything in order too. So they all really complement each other and they're all going to help you get your photos into digital format. Yeah, it's funny, the whole realm of photographs and scrapbooking and and how we store, it's all changed. It's gotten easier, I think. But um, there are some some tips. It's nice to have this kind of information up front, so that you can kind of lay it out properly from the beginning, (laughs) or be able to go back and at least put it right. That sounds fantastic. Now, you've also got a webinar coming up. And I know Maureen touched on this when we were talking to her in the top tips segment. But tell us more about the photo detective webinar. Well, yeah, actually, there's a little bit of a contest associated with that, too. So um, as part of our National Photo Month celebration, we are on our Facebook page for Family Tree Magazine, as well as on Maureen's Photo Detective blog. We're going to allow people to put 
forward one of their photo mysteries. That might be a question that you have about identifying or preserving a photograph, or it might be, you know, a question related to a specific photograph, like we do on the Photo Detective blog. And in Maureen's free webinar later this month, she's going to take a few of those questions that were submitted in the contest and talk about those photo mysteries. So really providing kind of an answer um, and guidance, which of course is applicable to everybody who has old photos in their family history and who doesn't. So that's a really good opportunity to get some great advice from Maureen, who's the foremost expert on old photos. And as well, one lucky person who submits a photo mystery is going to win a prize. So that's another little bit of incentive to check it out and get involved. Oh, how fun. If, if she picks your photo, that's awesome. But I'm guessing that she'll also probably be looking and selecting photos that many people probably will have similar questions. So either way, you're going to win. You're going to learn something about how to do that identification. Oh, and, and Maureen is so much fun. <laughs> that's going to be great. Now, what day is the webinar? The webinar is going to be on May 18th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific. So if you're on your lunch break from work, it's perfect time to tune in. And of course, we will archive that so that if you can't make it on the exact day or time, you will be able to go in and register to view it after the fact as well. Great. And if they want to submit their photo, tell us again how they do that. Well, there's, um, there's lots of ways that you can do it. But the main way to enter the contest is through the Photo Detective blog, um, posting a comment there, or using our Facebook page for FamilyTreeMagazine.com. And if you're just interested in submitting a photo for Maureen's column in the magazine or the Photo Detective blog, you can do that by email or mail as well. Wonderful. Now, this episode is going to be coming out right around mid-month in May of 2011. So you guys check your calendars right away because chances are this webinar is going to happen in just a couple of days. Uh, go check out the Family Tree Magazine Facebook page. And of course, we'll have links to everything in the show notes. Lots of fun for the National Photo Month. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this May 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and websites for everything that we covered in today's episode, including the Photo Detective blog, where you can follow along as Maureen Taylor unravels photographic mysteries. Then head on over to flickr.com and try your hand at uploading your own photographs and searching for images that will enrich your family history. If you have any questions or comments, I hope that you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I'm very excited to announce that my new book, The Genealogist's Google Toolbox, is now available in the Shop Family Tree store at shopfamilytree.com. It's packed with step-by-step -step instructions on how to get the most out of the top free tools offered by that search giant, Google. Also new at Shop Family Tree is the Google Earth for Genealogy CD Bundle. 
you know, genealogy really is grounded in location, location, location. So Google Earth is ideal for it. And it's a free program offered by Google. So in each video of this two-part CD series, I'm going to show you the amazing things that Google Earth can do for your family history research. Again, that's the Google for Genealogy CD bundle. You save money when you get them both together, and that's over at shopfamilytree.com. And of course, I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And of course, both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.